today on Ag News Daily. Here, they're out in pasture, and so I believe there's about 100 different, 100 different paddocks for these cows to go out on each day, and they go out and they graze, and then they come back in for milking. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell joined by Jennifer Holiday today, coming at you a little bit later today, as we wanted to wait, Jennifer, so that we could report on today's crop acreage report and grain stocks report. However, the USDA is having some technical difficulties, I guess, because as of about 1130, they still haven't gotten the report fully working. Oh, no. Well, hopefully they can have that out soon, even though we won't be able to report on it today. Well, we can report on a few pieces, but it appears that the acreage report is not pulling up quite right. However, we're still seeing analysts report on acreage numbers. So I'm curious how they're getting those, but we'll save that for a separate discussion. We do know that acreage numbers for some analysts at least have pulled through. I'm guessing they have some sort of a web scrape that's able to do that for them. But Karen Braun reported on her Twitter account today that U.S. corn acres ended up being extremely higher compared to analyst expectations and soybeans way below it, which certainly has given some bullish fodder here for the soybean markets. For today's acreage report, June acreage came in at 94.09 million acres. The trade estimating the trade estimates came in only averaging 91.8 million acres, so about 3 million acres, 2.5 million acres higher than what the trade was expecting, and about that much higher compared to what March's intentions had shared. When we look on the soybean side of things, June acreage today shows 83 million, 83.5 million acres of soybeans. The trade was expecting 87.6, so that came in about 4 acres. 4 million acres lower than what the trade was expecting. And lastly, wheat came in right in line with where the trade expectations were. June acreage, according to the USDA, was at 49.6 million acres of wheat. The trade was expecting 49.6. So hit the nail on the head there for that one. But as far as corn and soybean acres go, certainly uh, not in line with what the trade was expecting, Jennifer. Definitely not. But on a different note, looking at an article released by Successful Farming as part of an administration initiative to increase independent meat processing capacity, Agriculture Secretary Vilsack recently announced $38 million in grants to processors and $77 million to intermediary lenders to finance the startup expansion or operation of independent processing facilities. The result will be a stronger food supply chain and more competition in the meat processing sector, the administration said. The admin also said two years ago that it would put $1 billion into an expansion of independent processing capacity in the highly concentrated meat packing industry. A handful of companies account for the bulk of meat and poultry slaughter. The new awards dovetailed with a three-week Investing in America blitz led by President Biden to call attention to federal investment in infrastructure and economic recovery from the pandemic. Vilsack's role this week was to travel to Michigan and Iowa to highlight efforts to improve access to nutritious foods, lower costs for consumers, and create more markets for farmers and producers, the White House had reported. 
In the funding announced on Thursday, the USDA said projects in five states would share $38 million in grants through the Meat and Poultry Processing Expansion Program, whose goal is to increase competition, expand the meat supply, and improve the resiliency of the food supply chain, Delaney. Yes, I saw that headline there as well, Jennifer. And uh, I guess we got lots of protein-related news today because the Hogs and Pigs report came out yesterday. And as of June 1st, hogs and pigs were slightly up compared to a month ago. As of June 1, there were 72.4 million hogs and pigs noted on the U.S., Noted on U.S. farms, according to the report, which is up slightly from June of 2022 and down 1% from March of 2023. The inventory shifts, we saw some inventory in Nebraska of all hogs and pigs were around 3.65 million acres. That's up 4% compared to June of last year and up 1% from March of 23. Breeding hog inventory was down about 7% compared to last year, but up 1% from last quarter. And market hog inventory was up 6% from last year, but also up 1% from last quarter. So probably not what uh, U.S. hog producers were hoping to hear. But another thing that we're continuing to keep an eye on, and I know we're working on getting an interview to talk a little bit more, Jennifer, about the EATS legislation, which is lawmakers' way to try and undercut the California production rule about Proposition 12. But family farmers, animal rights groups, and senators are sticking to it. Independent cattle ranchers, as well as a family dairy and poultry farmers groups, joined animal rights groups in opposition of the legislation sponsored by U.S. Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas to block states and local jurisdiction from regulating production and distribution of agricultural products. Now, this is a little surprising because we're seeing folks within the livestock industry join with animal rights groups to cancel this legislation. Marshall and Iowa Representative Ashley Hinson were part of the coalition of lawmakers from major farming states to pull this legislation together. But it sounds like not a lot of groups are in favor of this legislation, and it may not get the traction it needs, Jennifer, to ever see it to the floor. But it sounds like a lot of groups are opposing it. And Still trying to sort through the noise of why they're opposing it, but hopefully we'll get more insight into that as we have a conversation next week with hopefully the Iowa Pork Producers Association. Yes, I am looking forward to that interview for sure. And staying on the livestock side of things, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association and its litigation partners have filed a motion to vacate the Biden administration's water of the U.S. rule following the Supreme Court's Sackett decision. The EPA has announced intent to issue a revised version of its WOTUS definition before September 1st, as we reported on earlier this week. An injunction has been secured in 27 states to temporarily halt the implementation of the Biden administration's WOTUS rule, meaning it isn't in effect. But for farmers and ranchers in the other 23 states, it is said that it's a gray area and producers should proceed with caution. Mary Thomas Hart, the chief counsel for NCBA, says they have some conversations to have some conversations before you start projects. 
But when it comes to those isolated features and ephemeral features, hopefully landowners are going to have a lot more flexibility moving forward, effectively managing all of these features. While Sackett's case was not directly related to agriculture, NCBA says the plaintiffs were harmed by the EPA's overregulation on WOTUS. The organization filed an amicus brief before the Supreme Court, siding with the Sackett family, and many of the points raised in NCBA's brief were incorporated in the final opinion. Okay, that was a lot to digest there, Jennifer. So, Definitely was. It was a meaty article to say the least, but hopefully there'll be some more information coming out to break this all down. Absolutely. Well, usually we start the episode with Tanner reporting on some weather, but I'm going to wrap things up with weather because Jennifer, I don't know about you, but yesterday here in central Iowa, it was quite difficult to breathe and difficult to even see driving into Des Moines. And it's deja vu when we look at the sky as summer wildfires from Canada are once again impacting air quality for the second time in three seasons. We've seen haze from Canadian wildfires blanket the Midwest skies. A lot of folks are recommending to avoid being outside if possible. And this is some of the dirtiest air that we've seen in quite some time, causing folks to get sick. Uh, definitely can smell smoke in the air in some instances. But today, here we are on Friday, it's looking finally again like a blue, nice summer day, Jennifer. But uh, uh, recent rains certainly could help those in the Canadian wildfire areas, but rains didn't seem to put much of a dent in the Midwest drought monitor as now 70% of the U.S. corn crop has been hit by drought, according to the latest U.S. drought monitor released yesterday. 63% of soybeans across the United States are also covered in drought. And while the latest U.S. drought monitor showed drought expanded across Illinois and Indiana over the past seven days, there is increased chances of rain over the weekend heading into the holiday weekend. So hopefully we see some rainfall for our folks up north and also to the east of us here. Most definitely. That would be great to see for everybody. I woke up to um, a thunderstorm outside of my window this morning. So hopefully those of our friends up north and east can get some as well. Absolutely. But Jennifer, I tell you what, I think I'm all out of news for today aside from chatting markets. What about you? I am as well. Let's look at our markets for the day. Well, corn, as expected, certainly took a nosedive following the release of the acreage report as of midday here. But 11:30, the markets are trading about 15 and a half cents lower in the June, excuse me, in the July contract at 565 and a half. Dece new crop corn down 16 and a half cents at 511 and three quarters. Soybeans are having the opposite effect as we saw huge bullish moves there for. July soybeans up 69 and a quarter cent at 15.52. Nove new crop beans currently up 70 cents at 13.35. July hard red winter wheat contract up 18 cents at 8.12 and a quarter. And as we look at the livestock markets here, we're seeing some mixed trade. August live cattle up 15 cents at a buck 74.65. August feeder cattle up a dollar 47 at 243.85. And August Lean Hogs down 20 cents here today at 92.12 and a half. Jennifer, for today's Friday conversation, who are we chatting with? We are chatting with Reagan Kramer, who is working on a beef dairy in New Zealand for the summer. 
Today, listeners, we have Reagan Kramer joining us. Reagan is originally from Wisconsin, but for the summer, she is actually living in New Zealand. Reagan, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're living in New Zealand this summer? Yes. So my name is Reagan Kramer, as Jennifer said. Um, I'm originally from Eastman, Wisconsin, where I grew up on a small registered dairy farm. Um, we sold our cows a couple years ago, and so now we have beef cattle. And also we have a crop farm, but this summer I am working on a dairy farm in New Zealand um, for the last three weeks and the next six weeks, I believe, until August. I'll be helping out with milking, um, calf care, and basically the day-to-day duties on the dairy farm. Uh, So my essential job role is taking care of the calves when they calve here at the beginning of July. In New Zealand, they calve out most of their cattle in season, so all the dairy cows will be on the same lactation cycle. So starting July 5th, I believe, is when our first baby is due. Um, I will be pretty busy uh, going out into pastures, picking up calves, tending to sick moms, things like that. But for the last three weeks, I have been getting acquainted with the differences between uh, New Zealand dairy farming and dairy farming in the Midwest, uh, milking, getting adjusted to Uh, the different time zone, and the different way of life here. Definitely sounds like you are being kept busy, but I'm sure it's all a blast since it's kind of an industry that you've grown up around. But like you just mentioned, there are definitely some differences between the two areas. So what are those differences like, and how do they compare to where you're from here in the Midwest? Yeah, so um, first of all, I want to say the biggest difference I noticed is that most, actually all dairy farms here are grazing. Um, They have different paddocks for the dairy cows to go out and graze throughout the day. Um, Back home, which most of you probably know, is we only have free stalls or tie stall barns where dairy cows are kept, and they can go out to pasture during the day, but most of the time they're kept in a barn where it's nice and cool with fans running during the summer months. But here they're out in pasture. And so I believe there's about a hundred different, hundred different paddocks for these cows to go out on each day and they go out and they graze and then they come back in for milking. Um, And yeah, so that's been one of the biggest adjustments for me is just seeing the different like ways that the cattle uh, react to grazing and noticing how things are just done management wise here. Um, Another big thing I've noticed is that in the milking parlors, which here they call them milking sheds instead of a milking parlor. But in the milking parlor, um, everything, all the buildings are outdoors. Like there's no walls. It's just a roof basically with all of your milkers underneath. And because in New Zealand, the winter months only get down to about 50 degrees and really rainy. So there's no need for like a big insulated barn when the coldest it gets is 50 degrees. And so, yeah, that's also been a change when it's really raining and you got all this water coming in, but it's also been really fun. So, yeah. Absolutely. It sounds like a blast and I'm a little jealous. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but when I was in Rome earlier this summer, I had the opportunity to learn about so many different policy differences in agriculture compared to the U.S. and in Europe. And what are some of the policy legis- or legislation differences that you've noticed between New Zealand versus the U.S. when it comes to dairy production? 
Yeah. So actually, another thing I forgot to hit on was that there is no one of the biggest policy differences I've noticed is that in the Midwest and all of the United States, um, most of the time, dairy cattle are prepped before milking. So you spray them with heat spray, wipe them off, make sure the udders are clean before you put the milkers on. Well, here in New Zealand, there is no legal um, heat spray or sanitation to milk cows. And so on almost all farms, the milkers are just put on right when the cows come in, which makes things a lot faster, but also it can also lead to higher cell count and lead to mastitis problems in dairy cows. And so that's one thing I've noticed um, is the no teat spray. That was another thing I had to adjust to as well. So then going off from just the dairy industry and looking at agriculture as a whole, are there any major differences that you've noticed between the two regions? I know you've only been there for three weeks, but I'm sure there are some major differences that you noticed right away. Yeah, definitely. So the area that I'm living in in New Zealand, um, it's between the towns of Matamata and Morinsville. And uh, it's very, it makes me feel a lot like home because it's a small town. You know, the bu school bus comes, picks up the kids in the morning of the host family I'm staying with, but definitely a dairy centered region. So Waikato is the name of the state. They call them regions here, but that's essentially the name of the state that I'm living in. And that is known as like the top dairy producing state in New Zealand. And so everywhere you drive down back roads, you'll see dairy cows. Um, it is New Zealand is the largest exporter for milk. And so it is very common to see cows all over the roads. But also there's a lot of sheep, which I am not used to coming from Wisconsin. There's not as many sheep as there is here. So a lot of times you will see dairy cows and sheep together. And it's just, that's been an adjustment. Um, another thing I have talked to locals and just picked up on is that there's not, there's hardly any pigs here in New Zealand, which I go to Iowa State University. So, you know, pigs are like the backbone of Iowa. And yeah, there's no pigs here. Um, a lot of their pigs are imported. And that's just basically because of the wet terrain and there isn't really a need because they just import all their pork. But yeah, that's also been something I've noticed in the ag industry as well. So very dairy centered, very sheep centered, but there's hardly any pigs here. Um, another thing I can hit on is essentially from the crop side of things, there really isn't that many crops either. Um, a lot of their feed is imported. Like here on the farm that I'm at, they import or they bring in almost all of their feed. And so there's no need for large equipment, large tractors, like a large planter is considered to be like an eight row planter, which in the Midwest, you know, that's considered small these days. And so that's another thing I've noticed too. Um, very dairy centered, but not a lot of room for crop production or pig production. Wow. I just cannot wait for the day that I get to travel the world and continue to look at more differences in the agriculture industry like you're getting right now. And just to kind of wrap things up, um, more just related to travel and your experience, what is something that you feel like you would have not gained or learned if you wouldn't have taken this opportunity upon yourself? Yeah, that is a great question. Um, I've definitely just grown more as a person independently. Um, so originally I was supposed to come to New Zealand my junior year of high school, but that was the year that COVID-19 hit. And so New Zealand shut down its borders, United States shut down its borders, 
you know, et cetera, et cetera. And they finally opened up their borders and I was allowed to come here this summer. And for the last three years, I've been, you know, like anxiously waiting to go to New Zealand. But now that I'm here, it's just kind of like a wow moment. Like I'm halfway across the world and I've really gotten to grow as a person, um, just being more independent. I mean, everything here is just, it's just a different way of life. And adjusting to that has made me realize that there's so much to see in the world. And I'm so grateful for the opportunities that I've been given. Um, I truly will never, ever forget this experience. And there's going to be many, many valuable memories coming along that I'll take back with me. Thank you so much for joining us today, Reagan. We really appreciate you and you getting up super early in the morning to do this. <laughs> yes, no problem. Thank you for having me. Well, that was a great conversation to have with Reagan. I had a blast catching up with her and definitely learned a lot about the differences between New Zealand and the Midwest dairy industry. I did as well. I'm really appreciative, Jennifer, of you getting all these great interviews lately and helping Tanner and I out. And I think our listeners are probably appreciative too. Well, I've had a blast and learned a lot and I look forward to continuing on with it this summer. Absolutely. But folks, if you are missing us over the weekend, you can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. Jennifer, with that, should we let the folks go? Let's let them go.